So, so there are some weird stories in the Bible. Let's just be honest. Um, there are some weird stories in the Bible. And actually, if you were kind of listening to the lyrics of the song Kevin was singing a little earlier, um, they're kind of referencing some of them, of turning bones into armies. And um, today's passage for us is one of those weird stories. And I'm going to read it for us. And I want you just to kind of really listen to it as, as we kind of dig into it. So give me a moment here. I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And so, um, I'll let Cade get me there um, for a moment. But the Gospel of Mark um, is just one of those, um, the shortest Gospel that we have and amongst our four Gospels. And yet it is also one of the most kind of fast-paced. Mark knows how to tell a quick, good story. And so this is one of those stories that comes to us, um, and one of Jesus's miracles, one of his healings, um, but it is a weird story. So allow me this, to read this for us today. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. This man lived among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day in the tombs and the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stone. Are you imagining this with me? A man in tombs, howling and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt before him, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded him, unclean spirit, Come out of the man. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He responded, Legion. Legion is my name, for we are many. Can you imagine someone saying that to you? They pleaded with Jesus not to send them out of that region. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. Send us into the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission. So the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. Those who tended the pigs ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and they saw the man who used to be demon-possessed. Remember the man who was howling in the tombs, cutting himself with stones, who could not be restrained with chains or leg irons. This is the man they now see, who'd been filled with many demons, sitting there fully dressed and completely sane. And they were filled with awe. 
Those who had actually seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man told the others about the pigs. Then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. While he was climbing into the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples. But Jesus wouldn't allow it. Go home to your own people, Jesus said, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. The man went away and began to proclaim in the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. There are some weird stories in the Bible. Yes. This one reads somewhat like a horror movie at parts. You know, you know, this is not simply a man possessed by one demon, but many. That line, my name is Legion, for we are many. That gives me chills reading it. I don't even want to imagine if I was confronted with that. And then you have thousands of pigs drowning themselves. You can't make this stuff up. This is freaky and weird and messed up. Which is sometimes what life is like. Life is sometimes freaky and weird and messed up. And we as people are sometimes freaky and weird and messed up. Which is why I think a story like this has a lot for us to connect with. Now, the thing is, most of us like for things to be pretty, organized, neat, and tidy. And even if we don't want to put the work into doing that, we can always recognize that those are good things, right? Oh, you know, like there's this whole thing about having a tidy home, right? Having a tidy, like organized, everything in its place, life. You know, and tidy and organized is a good thing with your pantry maybe with your sock drawer or your closet. But life doesn't work that way as much as we try to do so. See, when we expect our life, or more importantly, people, even yourself, to be neat and tidy, you are bound to be disappointed. Even Marie Kondo, the queen of tidying up has recently come out to say that life with kids means that not everything will be neat and tidy. Welcome, Marie. Welcome to the club. Welcome to finding French fries and chicken nuggets in places you never imagined they could be stored. See, not everything can be controlled and put in its place. Not everything wants to be controlled or put in its place. Or not everything is going to do or not everybody is going to do what we expect them to do. As much as we tell them, as much as we try to set them up and control them to do so, it's not going to happen. And yesterday I was sitting with my brother and my sister-in-law, um, and they were telling me about plans for my nephew's wedding. My nephew is the oldest grandchild, and he is... I love him. 
I just, I love this. He's not a kid anymore, but he still is. I just love him. And hearing them talk about their wedding plans, Zach is very laid back, just tell me what to do kind of guy. And his fiance is a woman who is not like that at all. She is a woman who is very much about control. She has a plan, and you are only on a need-to-know basis. And she will tell you when you need to know it, only when you need to know it. I have no doubt that she has not a five-year plan, but a 30-year plan. And most things, I think, in her life have gone according to plan for her. And the thing is, I really worry when things don't go according to plan for her. Because that need for control and having those high expectations without room for grace and failure can wreck us. And in many ways, I am like her. And I was chuckling because I have been her. I make plans. I make plans for my plans. I make plans to plan. This is, this is my need for control. And my plans for my future haven't always turned out the way I wanted. And in many times, I have been disappointed and heartbroken. And dealing with that disappointment, dealing with that heartache of dreams that are lost, it's been crushing, and it's been overwhelming. And when, and when the pain of that kind of heartache goes on for a while, it can drive us to hide, to isolate from the world because it's too much to deal with the hurt. And it actually sometimes can increase our need for control. If only, that's the lie we tell ourselves, if only I had planned better, if only I had done this better, if only I had thought about this first, this wouldn't have happened. And we end up in many cases where we are here physically, but our hearts are locked in a tomb of our own making. And that pain can chain us can hold us, can rob our lives of joy and abundance. And this, this weird, messed up story in Mark's gospel speaks to pain and loss. Now, we read about a man who is possessed, which is messed up to begin with, for sure. And then we find out that he lives in a graveyard not your typical housing arrangement. But then we also learn that he is so destructive, especially to himself, that others have tried to control him by chaining him up. They have tried to physically restrain him. They've not only tried, you know, they haven't done the, you know, the things we usually do, which is manipulate people. They have physically chained this man in order to control him. And his pain pours out of him in howls and hurting himself through cutting. I imagine that those who saw him were horrified by this. I imagine that the pain that drove him to this self-destruction 
is overwhelming. And the thing is, we aren't given a whole lot of backstory on him. We don't know what has caused this suffering. We're not given a reason. And we love reasons, don't we? We love reasons because it gives us something to grab onto, to explain why this pain has happened. I think we feel like that why gives us an additional sense of control or sometimes helps us feel like, oh, that's why that happened. Well, I don't do that, so I won't have to suffer like that. I won't have that kind of pain. I see this a lot when people ask about health issues. Like, oh, he has cancer. Is he a smoker? Why does that matter? Oh, because if he was a smoker, then his pain is his fault, right? Because bad things don't just happen to people. We don't just have pain happen to us, right? Or do we? And I think we feel that sense of information helps create a barrier of protection that we won't have to suffer like that. But we don't have this with this guy. We just see him in his pain. And I have no doubt that this has gone on for years. I mean, you don't just go to chaining somebody. I'm sure there were other attempts to help him before they went to chains and leg irons for him. So years of pains, years of being the one that people talked about. Like, you see what he's done now? See what he's doing to himself now? Years of people avoiding him, keeping their distance, pushing him away. Years of people looking anywhere but in his eyes, looking at him as if he's human. Embarrassed, probably, and uncomfortable by his pain. So much so that they, they restrain him so they don't have to see him, deal with him. And this is the scene that Jesus comes into. This is the situation Jesus arrives to from the boat across the waters. Now, when Jesus arrives, his first thing is to command the unclean spirit to come out. And the response is to kneel and beg for mercy. Begging Jesus, don't torture me. Don't torture us. So we hear that which has possessed this man, that which is causing this man so much pain, is speaking to Jesus, asking for mercy. This is weird. This is a weird situation. And this is where we get that amazing piece of dialogue. We are legion, for we are many. And in this story, scholars love to pick at all the details gather bits of information about where Jesus is. They pick up on the fact that there are pigs here and a graveyard. And then the idea that this is a place called the Ten Cities or the Decapolis. So they know that this is not Jewish territory. So Jesus and his disciples, who are Jewish, have come into Gentile territory here to encounter this man who is possessed. This is firmly Gentile, or probably more specifically, Roman land. And a good Jew, 
A good Jew is not going to have anything to do with pigs or graveyards or Romans if they can help it. And yet Jesus enters into this fully. These things, pigs, graveyards, Gentiles, make people unclean. Contaminate them. And so Jesus should have avoided this situation. He should have avoided this potential for contamination. He should have tried to prevent it. And yet he walked straight into it. And faced with this man who is possessed by demons, naked and isolated, and self-destructive. This poor man, in the eyes of many, represents what happens to people who are oppressed, perhaps by something like the Roman Empire. So you have this man who, in some ways, represents what happens to you when the world gets its claws into you. And then you have Jesus, the one who is announcing a new empire, a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. The one who has come to announce the good news for all. So what happens when these kingdoms meet? We see this man kneel and beg for mercy, overwhelmed by the very presence of Jesus. And what is Jesus' response? Jesus, this ambassador of God's kingdom, what does he do? He gives mercy and healing to the man and a strange allowance, in a way, to the demons. Because the demons have now sent us into the pigs. We know you're going to cast us out. We know you're going to heal this man in some regards, but don't cast us into the abyss. Let us go into the pigs. So Jesus grants this request. And then the story gets weirder. And I think because unhealed pain is so destructive. Because unhealed pain is so destructive, the pigs are driven into the sea. But now we see a man who has been tormented by his pain, now healed, clothed and in his right mind, no longer howling and attempting to destroy himself, attempting to just tear himself apart. He is no longer doing that. He is whole. He is healed because of Jesus. And if that weren't enough to kind of catch our attention, we now see the response to what happened. We see how the people who have witnessed this man, the self-destructive man, how they respond when he is healed. They are shocked. And then it gets even more messed up. See, you think about like what they've witnessed in this man and now seeing him made whole, meaning he's now healed. 
seeing his pain for years, and now it's gone. They ask the one who has healed this man to leave, the one who has worked a miracle that they could not have ever imagined, to leave. Like, Jesus just delivered this man from a life of pain, and you are so uncomfortable with this that you ask the healer to leave. You ask the miracle worker, the way maker, to leave your region because you can't handle this healing. That is messed up. And I kind of ask myself, did they ever even, did they ever ask the man who was possessed to leave? This man who made them so uncomfortable they had to chain him up. This man who howled and cut himself. Did they ever ask him to leave? I doubt it. But they asked Jesus to leave. Jesus had made them even more uncomfortable. Jesus has made them more uncomfortable than a man who was in so much pain that he was naked, isolated, and destructive. Is it because they could control the man? by chaining him, even for a little bit? Was it because they could at least keep him to the tombs, to the graveyard, so that they didn't have to deal with him on a daily basis, isolating him, keeping him from community? Is it because they had a small measure of control over this man and none over Jesus? Is that what makes them so uncomfortable? that when healing and justice finally comes, they can't handle it. They can't deal with it because they are so used to the drama and the trauma of life that they can't handle healing. They can't handle wholeness when it's confronting them in a person before them. This response to healed pain is messed up. And yet so very human. See, we so often push away what makes us uncomfortable, even when it is our own pain. We numb ourselves to it most often. We Netflix out. We bury ourselves in work. We try to control more and more in an attempt to hold the pain back. Twenty twenty-two was a hard year for me. And the thing is, there was no singular like crisis or eruption that wrecked me. There was no singular thing I could point to. It was like a thousand paper cuts, slowly bleeding me dry. I can point to some things, you know, things that were, were stressful. We moved, we had several transitions. We had some health issues, but nothing major, nothing really devastating. All was manageable. And yet it wasn't, because the weight is cumulative. It just seemed to keep coming, pushing, pushing, not letting up. 
And I found myself really kind of drowning in stress and overwhelm. And, and I'm a high-functioning person. And my response to things is just put your head down and keep going. And the messed up thing is, in our culture, we admire that, and yet that is as destructive as howling and cutting yourself in two. Because I am able to function. Nobody really often notices what's going on. So I just put my head down and I keep going. I keep pulling the damn plow. When I get to the end of the row, I just turn my butt around and keep going back. I may be getting slower, but I'm keeping moving, right? Right? That's the good thing. Keep moving. And maybe I just need to stop and take the damn harness off. Let the weight go. Now, if you've been here for a hot minute, you know that I love Christmas. I love the festivity of it. I love the lights. I love the decorations. I just love, there's some magic to it, I think. And, and part of it has to do with my faith, and some of it just has to do with the season. And this year, we didn't even put up a tree, because I didn't have it in me. A stupid tree was too much. I mean, we have a pre-lit, in a box tree. You take it out of the basement, you find a spot for it, you plug it in, and it's done. Too much. Because throughout that year, the cumulative weight just kept pushing. And it was just too much to even, one, ask for help, or see a way to change some things, to lessen the load. And many things in life, you just simply have to keep going. Like, you have to go through. You can't go around it. You can't go under it. It's not going to disappear. It's gotta, you got to move forward. But sometimes you just need to stop in the midst of it, too. You need to ask for help. You need to take a break. You need to say, this is too much. I couldn't do that. Because... The effort it would take to do that felt like too much. I couldn't manage it all. It just seemed like asking for help or trying to make a change was just going to add one more damn thing to the plate, and my plate was too dang full. I had a coworker who used to say, I got too much on my plate even to say grace over. And that was kind of what it felt like. And I lied to myself. I lied to myself that it was easier just to keep living like this. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. When all I really needed to do was just stop and sit. Let it go. But again, it felt like too much. The thing is, it's a lie. Because it's like, oh, it's work. It's work to change. It's work to grow. It's work to do your work. Yeah, change is hard. But slowly destroying yourself 
with stress and worry is equally hard. We're just used to it. Now, in the last few weeks, I have felt like I've been able to catch my breath. And that little bit of breath has allowed me to invite more change in, to find the energy to do things a little differently, to let go of some things, to invite others in, to do that has given me hope. Hope that this year will be different. And even more so, I find myself softening, not hardening, not white-knuckling my way through the day, but opening my hands and letting some things go and being okay with it. Allowing God and others near because I need them. And as much as I think this story about a man possessed who is naked, isolated, and living outside of community is messed up and weird, as much as I think it is messed up and weird, I see myself in it. I too need the healing of Jesus, that deep breath in of God to restore me to health and community. And what gets me even more so than seeing myself in this man is seeing Jesus in him. Because at the climax of Mark's gospel, we find another person, naked, isolated, outside the town among the tombs. bearing the discomfort and pain of many, letting evil do its worst to him on the cross. We find Jesus in Mark's gospel, much like our man who is possessed, naked and isolated. We find Jesus in the same spot on the cross later in Mark's gospel, bearing the pain of the world. So when, when we are faced with suffering, I think we need to do a few things. We need to not turn away or try to control it, and not to do those things, especially if it's our own. But we need to apply the gentle, healing message of Jesus. Identifying with, not separating from their pain. And that when we do that, we invite the healing of God into those situations. And at the conclusion of this story, the man asks to go with Jesus. He pleads with him, much like the demons pleaded with him to spare them. This man wants to stay with Jesus, and Jesus says no. He doesn't want this man to depend on him in that way. He wants him to depend on him in another way. Because this man has now purpose in life. As one who is healed and whole now, he is encouraged to live a new life in his community, his space, his life, 
sharing the healing and the hope that he has found in Jesus. And I believe we are invited to do the same. Amen.